Well, thank you, my friends. I could probably just listen to Linda give tours all day, could you guys? <laughs> Such a sweet spirit about her. Uh, my name is Tom, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the worship pastor here, and uh, just, there's a lot of gunk happening in my face right now, <laughs> so I apologize that it's going to be a little raspy today, but my wife told me that I sound like Phoebe from Friends when she had her sexy voice, so... I'm going to close this morning's service with a great rendition of Smelly Cats. And if you don't know what I'm referencing, I don't know what you were doing in the 90s if you weren't watching must-see TV, man, I'm telling you. Well, uh, if you're a guest here, just thank you so much for being here. Uh, I always tell you that if I say anything weird up here, Pastor Scott will fix it next week. It'll be fine. Um, but we have been in a series of prayer, and as a church, many of us have been praying and fasting. And the reason that we're doing that is just because we want to see God move, and we want to open up our hearts to whatever He would have. Uh, and we just think that that's the way that we're supposed to be walking out our faith. Like Point, we say that we're here to help people take their next step with Christ and with God. And as a, as a church, this is our next step, is in prayerful obedience to Him. You know, I grew up uh, going to a Christian private school, and I was in a pr Christian private school from preschool all the way through till high school. And uh, the first one that I was a part of was connected to a church, and I was there every day. There was a comedian who once said that, and uh, if the if the window washer came on a Thursday, our family would fill our pew and watch him do it. We were just always there at church, and I probably had the halls of that place memorized so well that I could have gotten around with my eyes closed. I, I knew it so incredibly well. I also grew up around some, with access to some pretty incredible men and women of God. I got to talk to them and ask them questions and uh, annoy them pretty frequently um, because I uh, thought that the steps in the church were definitely meant for Superman to take dives off of, and I just would just have my when it was right outside the pastor's office, which he wasn't crazy about, but I got to know that guy really, really well because I was always around playing around him. And then because I was always around incredible guys and incredible orators too, they were great speakers. We were a, a televangelist type church. If that doesn't explain any of my baggage, I don't know what does. But they were awesome in front of the camera, and when those dudes would preach and or pray or read the announcements, all of it was captivating, engaging, and other than church, we had basic cable in my house, so I was on Comedy Central nonstop just watching stand-ups. So I only had great guys speaking, so by the time it was like, like the second or third grade, when my teacher said, Tommy, would you pray today? Well, that was the last time she asked because I went for eight minutes or so just talking like I was praying for every blue jay that flew by. Lord, I know that you like care for even the sparrow. And they're like, we have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to eat. Wrap it up, kid. And that's just what I, what I grew up around. And I grew up really believing not to anyone's uh, fault. It's just, you know, we get understandings the way we get understandings that I thought prayer was just talking to God talking to God. And one of my concerns that I have uh, right now is just one of your pastors. There's probably a lot of folks where you could have been following Jesus for better than a decade, but if I asked you to pray for us 
in a circle, certainly not here, but maybe here. There's a lot of folks who would just say, no way. <laughs> like, you would want no part of that. And part of it is because you wouldn't know what to say. And what I'm hoping I can do for you this morning, if I could give a gift to you this morning, it's how to pray when you do not know what to say and how to never stop praying. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 17. Paul is this guy with a wild backstory. He was a murderer at one point. He liked to track down people that he disagreed with and killed them. But you know what changes your life is when you meet Jesus. We find out in the book of Acts that Jesus actually met him and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting our people? The Tom translation would read, what's the deal with you, man? Like, why are you doing this? And this is how the verse reads in, the, uh, in an easier-to-read version called the NIV. It says in verse 16, be joyful always. And verse 17 says, pray continually, pray continually. But I grew up with the King James Version, so I didn't read continually. Any of my, any of my King James friends, pray without ceasing, yeah. Nary should you cease, I guess. Like, never, ever stop. Well, man, if prayer is talking, does that mean we're supposed to be talking to God nonsense? Or nonsense, nonstop. <laughs> I'm not feeling like 100%. I apologize. Probably would be nonsense if you never stopped talking eventually. When I talk to people, they, they tell me really sweet things. They tell me, when I ask about their prayer life, they're like, no, it's, it's pretty good. It's just, you know... I, sometimes I fall asleep when I'm praying. You guys ever have that where you just kind of pass out in the middle of it? Yeah. Or maybe things that you had to do that day or you've got coming up and you've got like, oh, can't forget to do that, can't forget to do that. Pro tip, I keep two columns if I'm going to spend a great deal of time in prayer. And one of them is I just, oh, thank you, sweetheart. You're such a good girl. Part of the, uh, no, I can't remember what I was going to say. Two columns, thank you. One column my wife had my back immediately. She lives with this mess. <laughs> Two columns. One of them is just things that I'm trying to pray through, things that I'm trying to like bring before the Lord as they come to me. And the other one is that stuff that just randomly pops into my head of the stuff that I can to do. I just know my brain and I get permission. It's not like God's like, what is he writing down? <laughs> like it's nothing like that for him. Uh, I just kind of give myself permission to do that. And if I do fall asleep, I just have peace that God will kind of just be like, hey, you didn't finish your thought earlier, and I'm kind of lost. Like, no, it's none of that. It's none of that. Prayer is not always about what you say. So sometimes prayer is, though, talking to God. If you're taking notes, that's our first point. Sometimes prayer is talking to God. We get lots of um, lots of examples of this in Scripture, a, a couple of them. We were in Philippians chapter 4, I believe it was last week. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do you know why God told you He wanted to hear your requests? It's because He wants to hear your requests. That's part of it. It's a mind-blowing exposition there. He actually really does want to hear from you. Romans 8.26 is one of the most comforting prayers that I have and uh, verses that I have in my life. It says, We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I just love it that even when I don't know what to say, He knows what I'm trying to say. 
I love it that when I don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit takes over and starts praying too. I love that. I love that part of the relationship that's happening in there. So sometimes prayer is communication. Sometimes prayer is talking. But if prayer is only talking, and I asked you, did you pray today? The most that many of us could say in our prayer life is we talked to God. And I just want to ask you, do you have any relationships in your life or have you ever had any relationships in your life where you knew somebody and they did all the talking? Was it a healthy relationship? That probably depends on the situation, but all the talking, all of it, well, that's a one-way road. And everybody in here knows that a relationship is always two ways. There's always two people talking to each other. So the idea that I want to come to is that, yeah, sometimes prayer is communication, but what prayer can always be, and it's what I believe that God's goal for us today is, our second point, God's goal is that we would be in lifelong communion with Him. See, communion is so much deeper than communication. In fact, I would say that if I was doing math, which uh, I'm not great at, um, but I would say that communion would belong over communication. A communion would belong over communication. So, so what's, what's communion, you ask? Well, when I hear communion, I'm sure I picture the same thing that many of you picture, where you picture communion is the thing that we do together, where we are remembering God's broken body and that His blood that was spilled for us, and then we do an act where we actually ingest bread or a cracker, which we also allow gluten-free crackers here. We supply those. And juice to remember his blood. And that's communion. But what's really happening is what's communion, which is when we stop and we say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? In that specific act as a church, we're also praying for unity in that. If there's anybody with a broken relationship or anything that needs to be mended, that you're supposed to address it. And that's supposed to be a moment where you ask the Holy Spirit to convict and the conviction is just redirection to the place where he actually wants you to go. And then we pray together. All the time. God wants me to do that all the time. Well, maybe communion is something more than just the act. Maybe it's about what the deeper meaning of the word is. See, what I believe that communion is, communion is an awareness of someone else. And by awareness, I don't just mean I'm vaguely aware that this other person is in the room, like I'm vaguely aware of many of you being here today. But what I, what I would actually say is, I'm not just aware, I understand, and I'm taking on that person's thoughts and their priorities. I'm with them, and I know them well. Communion. Now, I know my wife, Jenna, knows me. She knows me very well. Jenna basically always knows the answer to how was your day often before I answer. And I know if her day was okay too, because if she's not in a good mood, I can tell by the vibe. I can tell by the vibe if it's family, if it's family, I know if it's me, if it's my mother-in-law who we call Noni, or which kid it is. I can generally tell by the vibe. We've been together a long time. We've talked a lot, and I've listened a lot too. 
I can also tell if she's had a frustrating day at work, whether or not it was somebody who was in leadership, because they're the ones who really mess with your day, or your peers who just don't get it right. Not that any of you have jobs or understand that that's exactly how it works for my job. My job is great with an awesome boss. <laughs> I've never frustrated him. Okay. Now, how do I know the answer to, my, to, my, to that question, and, and how is it? Because I've done a lot of life with her. I've had a lot of good days, I've had a lot of bad days, and we've seen it. We've seen that together, and I know her so well. I've become so familiar with her. I have heard her words, I have seen her deeds, and I have seen her responses. And with the Lord, I know His Word, and I have seen His deeds, and I have seen His gracious responses and his mighty conviction. I've seen those things in him. I've had experience. I've got a history with the Lord. It takes time. It takes communion. And I guess I guess I gotta I gotta tell you, one of the best parts about it in my relationship with my wife is that if she asks me how my day was, I also know that she's also saying that I'm ready to receive the truth about how your day was, because I love you. And gosh, what a hard place to get to, right? Those of you who have been in some long-term relationships or those of you who are craving to find them. It takes a long, long road with a lot of activity. You can make vows and promises, but isn't it so sweet to be with somebody who doesn't just have a vow, but has had vows that have been cashed in many, 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 many times? That's communion where I know by way of history and remembering how good they are. See, companionship, companionship means something so much deeper than what I ever vowed for it to be. When we got married, I used words, but I did not understand how under the, wonderful they were in sickness and in health. My wife say in sickness and in sickness is what it feels like half the time. My goodness, in sickness and in health is great. Till death do us part. I'm promising to stay with somebody for the rest of my life when I have barely lived any life at that point. And at some point, it's promises. But then when you start having a history of promise-keeping, oh, the wonderful companionship that you can find in that. You see, the way that I believe that that happens in your walk with Jesus is that you become aware, because communion is awareness, when you're in the Word, and the Word being the Holy Word of God and in His Scripture and in His Bible, and you're actually reading it and you're taking it in. And to tell you, just like how my vows meant one thing in my youth, so do the Scriptures. Psalm 23, to tell you that I have read the 23rd Psalm in so many different emotionally dynamic situations, sweet mercy, what an understatement. I realize the verse was both never vague, but never so specific that it brings healing to every variety of broken hearts. Psalm 23 is, I think, the most amazing written work of all mankind. It's my hot take on art. I think it's beyond beautiful phrasing with beautiful uh, imagery. I think it's holy. You know, the first time that I ever heard Psalm 23 that I remember is when I had to memorize it, and I had to memorize it in elementary class. I was actually a kindergartner the first time I memorized it, and I just loved the picture of He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, because as a little boy, that sounds safe. 
That sounds safe. You know, Mr. Rogers said the reason that he was so successful was that he knew how to make a kid feel safe. And that's what Psalm 23 did for me as a child. It made me so safe. And as I grew up, it started meaning different things. I had a tough childhood. There were some things that happened that were just really, really painful. And one thing that happened, and some of you will understand this, is when my biological father moved out of the house. And I'm sitting in front of a man of God, and I'm telling him what happened, and my mom is telling him what happened, and the first thing that he does is he does not respond what to do, what to say, what's the right thing to say to this kid that's falling apart. It's when he stood up from his desk, and he turned around, and he grabbed a Bible off the shelf, and he opened it up to Psalm 23. And knowing that the Lord was with me, and that he was walking with me, and that he was willing to be talking with me, and he was doing it right then and there and saying a new word to me out of an ancient text like Psalm 23. It was beautiful. I remember Psalm 23 is what I said the first time that I was with somebody when they were passing away. She was an amazing, amazing, amazing woman. I love her so much. She was a, uh, a pillar of our church. And the senior pastor was gone, and the youth pastor slash worship pastor was there. And when I went into her room, I didn't know what to say, so I got up my version Bible app, and I whispered Psalm 23 into her ear, and the countenance of her body, because she could not respond, changed, because she knew the Lord was with her. And she died in peace that day, because that scripture is holy. It was his word. You know, you spend enough time in prayer and you spend enough time in the Word and not just in your own thoughts, in your own conclusions about what He may be saying, but just sitting in Him, you start to pick up on the vibe of God. You start to recognize His ways and His tendencies, and they are outside of your own. The real problem that I have if prayer is just always just talking and talking and talking and talking, then prayer is going to be limited by, is going to be limited by the creativity of the dialogue that you can create. You will run out of things to say, but He will never run out of things to say back to you. But He doesn't always speak just saying words into your head, but He is always ready to talk to you through His Word. It is holy, it is amazing, and as your life continues to provide, which are just new levels of feces to hit the fan, aren't you glad to hear it? Man, I don't know. The worship pastor, at least he's fun. At least I get to hear words like feces from the church. I didn't grow up hearing that. Good for you. Like, I, I, I got to tell you, your life was never built to be easy. And the greatest blessing that you can have in your life is not necessarily one of ease, but it is one of purpose. It can mean something. But if you're just constantly trying to figure it out, figure it out, figure it out, and then the real problem that I see what happens with a lot of Christians with prayer is that we think that there is an economy that's taking place. I say or do the right things. It will reveal God to give me the right results. Do not ever put the Lord Almighty in your debt. And what happens is we think if we pray the right prayer, and structure is good, structure is important, structure helps teach you something. I mean, if you really want to know how to be good to a, at a sport, you have to learn inside of structure first, right? If you want to learn how to do something well, you start with structure. You want to become amazing at it, you start understanding the structure. I remember I love what Mark Twain said. He said, 
The, the English language and all of its rules are useful to those, and you can break it as long as you understand what they mean, meaning you can leave the structure behind. And he created some of the greatest works that have stood tall in America for so many years because he understood what the purpose was. Prayer is not about you unlocking God to give you what you want him to give you. Prayer is about you being in communion with him. And when you are in his ways, you are in his will. Then you want to be completely locked in with him. And I just really believe that if you think in your head, if I just pray the right prayer, dear God, you are holy. Thank you for this day. Okay, now I've called him holy. I've thanked him for the day. I've shown gratitude. And then you start listing out your requests, which, again, the scripture tells us to do. But if you think he owes you based on it, you've missed it. And then, because we really want him to answer that prayer, then we say, in Jesus' name. And if we really want to close some deals, in Jesus' mighty, precious, and holy name. And before that, you probably prayed over your dinner and asked him to do some sort of miracle to your dinner to make sure that that pizza was going to give you some kale calories instead. And it just doesn't happen that way. There is no economy except for his judgment and then his offering of grace by way of his son. And then you and I either surrender to it or we do not. That's the end of the economy. The rest is relationship. The rest is relationship and it's communion and it's waiting for you and I. And as far as like asking the Lord for things, I see no problem with it whatsoever because Jesus actually told us to do it. This is a point that I want to make to you in your fourth point in your notes, you cannot over-pray or over-request. I know you'd love to like kind of make you land in one place. Do I ask for a lot of things? Do I not ask for a lot of things? And the answer is yes, all of it at once. It's a relationship. God is not some genie that you're trying to rub on the side of the lamp in order to get to the right thing, and then he's limited you to three wishes. No, 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 no. He's inviting you into a relationship. And when you have a relationship with somebody like him who is only him, there is no one like him. You cannot over-request. This is in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, and this is going to be out of the New Living Translation of the Bible. I love the New Living Translation. It's one of the translations that I read when I'm just in like kind of devotional mode, like, God, I just need to get you. I need to understand what the point of this passage is. I love the New Living Translation for that. I like the English Standard Version when I want to study one word at a time when all of doctrine hangs on one word. But for this, I love the way that they have Jesus' tone captured in this. This is the parable of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. Jesus is trying to get right to the crux of who this judge is. He wants you to understand his character completely, so he's made a very simple character out of him. He neither feared God nor cared about people. He has no faith, and people are nonsense to him. So he has no moral compass that these people in the crowd are familiar with. He's saying this guy is nothing but a judge. And a widow, verse 3, of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while, but finally said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. Really trying to drive this point home, Jesus. I like it. But this woman is driving me crazy. 
I don't know why you're giggling. I don't want to get in trouble. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Verse 6, then the Lord said, this is God telling the story, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? He will keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? It's fascinating to me that Jesus, our Lord, says right then and there, pestering in faith when you're pestering the Lord is the same thing. The demonstration of faith was to not stop praying. Why would the Lord tell you to pester him? I love how blunt Jesus is with the characters. He wanted to make sure that we got his audience, that they could quickly understand. Doesn't love God, doesn't love people. She's a woman. It's just scripture. Don't email me. You know, the reason that it's ridiculous, I live with all women. I'm going to hear about that later. But, but the reason that it seems ridiculous to us is because God has limits. God does not have limits, and you and I do. Our God does not have limits. He does not get annoyed with your requests. In fact, He's telling you to bring it on. You got a concern in your life. Do not stop bringing it to God. You got a dream that you thought was supposed to come true by now, and you really felt like it was from the Lord, and now you're looking around, and you're like, where is it? Don't stop talking to him. Don't evaluate his timeline. Because he is good, and his ways are perfect. But what you can do is you can trust enough to continue to ask. If I asked you what you thought about God, and I pushed for a very specific opinion, what kind of answer would I get from you? Be beyond, you know, like, you know, he loves me, but what he really thinks specifically about you, I'm talking about like the four-paragraph Amazon review of you. Like, what, what would he really say about you? You know, I asked somebody, she's one of my heroes in this life, and I asked her a few years ago, and I was like, what do you think that God really thinks about you? And she you know, she gave a good answer in the sense that it was the truth. I like honest answers. I long for authenticity in my life. And she said, you know, I think he thinks I'm doing a pretty good job, but he's probably a little disappointed. And I asked, well, why are you disappointed? And the crux of the answer was, with much polling, was because she was disappointed in herself. You see, when God is just the imaginary perfect version of you, He is small. When God is, when I call Him God your Father, and the only thing that you can imagine is the perfect version of your dad, that's not who He is. Certainly, if you have kids and they're looking to you and saying, God's the perfect version of you, how shy is their picture of the Lord? Pretty shy. Pretty shy. Because he's not just perfect. He's so holy that he cannot tolerate sin in his presence. He's so holy and wonderful and powerful that no lie can stand true before him. He's so holy and powerful that when Moses came and wanted to see him, 
that the only thing that God would let him see is he put him in the cleft of the rock and he's like, I will allow you to see my back and where it has been. That's all you can see. He's not the perfect version of any man you've ever met or one that you could possibly fathom or imagine. My kids, we went to uh, on this awesome, awesome, awesome vacation. And we were really excited about going on this vacation. And, you know, like I said earlier, structure is a good thing, and we were so excited to go. Uh, my wife, Jenna, works for a company where they used to do, instead of giving you employee bonuses, they would give you points. And it worked out for us for the points because they gave us Disney gift cards, which meant over enough years, we just kept collecting these Disney gift cards. And eventually, it did pay for us to go to Disney. She was the number one referrer in the company. So it was, it was awesome. And we were so excited to go to Disney. Our family had a little dance. We did it up over here. You guys remember that dance? We're going to Disney. See, my kids are doing it over there. We were so excited about going to that. It was just, oh, man, we were just so pumped the whole time we were on our way to get over there. Now, the way that that car ride, the road trip, and I wanted a road trip because I'd never been on a road trip. The only vacation I'd ever gone on as a kid besides visiting family in Kentucky was I went to Jellystone Camp and Park. Do you guys remember Jellystone with Yogi Bear and Boo Boo? Those guys, like, terrified me. Those dirty bear costumes coming at you. Like, do you know what bears do? They eat you. Like, Pooh Bear thought. That guy steals. Like... But I never got to go on any kind of real vacation <laughs> in my life. So I was just so excited because I was giving my kids something that I didn't get to experience. I was so pumped about it. Now, the day started really good. It, it, it ended well, too. There's no, like, dark torn coming. But it started with, good morning. Are you guys excited? I'm so glad that we're going on this trip today. But what if throughout the day I kept giving it that same structure? Children, I love you. I'm so glad to be on this trip with you today. Does anybody need to go to the rest stop? Amen. It was good talking to you, and then we just shut down in silence for the rest of the day. What an awkward, awkward road trip that would be, especially in Ohio. Amen. That would have just gotten so weird. No, I mean, it starts with the day. The day started. It had some structure to the beginning of the day for sure. You know, we had all those standard things, but then it was like as the day went on, it was as we saw things that were beautiful, we would talk to each other and be like, oh my goodness, look, it's not Ohio. Isn't it great? <laughs> By the time we were getting there, we were talking about the future. We were excited about the things we were going to do over the next coming days. We were just talking about how excited we were for the future that was in front of us. What if I told you that praying is sometimes talking. Prayer can always be communion. And the structure doesn't guarantee you anything. But what you can have is have a relationship where it flows and moves nonstop throughout your day. So I'm a nerd. I like Star Wars, and I'm not afraid to admit it. I have a Millennium Falcon guitar, and if you don't know what the Millennium Falcon guitar is, we have a discipleship process we would love to plug you into because it is the coolest starship out of the movie Star Wars. It's the best one that they made. I don't care, and I won't hear anything otherwise. I'm so excited. I'm a giant nerd. When I am watching my nerdy movies and occasionally playing my nerdy video games, I talk to God while I'm doing it. You know why? Because He likes me. I guarantee... If he made this mess, he can handle me talking to him about it. And my favorite 
And another thing, video games are good for me because they let you shoot people in video games. In a church, I just get to pray for them. So I got to the end of this game last year. I'm 42 years old. I should be over this stuff. I'm not. Whatever. I get to the end of the game last year, and it was so good. And I, like, stood up, and I realized I can't tell my family about any of this without their eyes rolling back into their head. So I turned to God, and I was like, Father, did you see? That was awesome. And you know what I felt in that moment? Not alone. I actually, I felt loved and seen. And I love this relationship with him because there is no codependency. He needs nothing from me, but has offered himself to me through Jesus. Yeah, I invite him into the whole thing. And part of it is just because I love it that my God is in my day. What if I told you that when you're in his word and you're on your knees, you'll know he's there and you'll know his vibe. You'll see his consistency. You'll know that he has not left you. You'll know that his passion for you does not dim like our passion for him can. He is an immovable, unmovable force of love and affection for you. And wouldn't you love to learn more about his day's plans instead of just asking him to bless yours? What would happen if we prayed, Lord, this life is yours. Let me see your plans today. I, I, I've prayed so many times, God, what is your will for my life? And I just, I felt a switch happen. It was a great exchange of priorities when I said, what is your will for your life? Not just because this life is yours, but because your life is grand. And I want to be a part of your story. You know, Pastor Scott described us as being extras in his grand tale. And to me, that's exciting to know that I could be anywhere near his heart and his mind. The Bible says that his ways are perfect, and I will tell you that when you are in his ways, you are inside of his will, which would just give me the simplest way that I would know to tie all of this together for you, whether it's communing with him or talking with him, is to point number five, start your day in prayer the way that you hope to end it. Start it the way that you hope to end it. You know, you lay there in bed, and can you just imagine what would happen before you even get up? Because once I finally get out of bed, which is always a thing, just convincing myself that, no, you, you do have to actually get up, and you have to wash the whole situation by way of shower, and then you have to choose clothing to walk out of there, and then you've got Things need to happen today. You've got a schedule. You've got a to-do list. You've got things that have to happen today. But before you even get rolling into that, before feet touch the ground, you start with this, a prayer like this. Lord, today I present this body to you, a living sacrifice. Lord, I give you the whole kit and caboodle from head to toe. I give you these hands for your service. I give you these feet, these legs to go, Lord, wherever you want them to go. Lord, I give you these eyes. Lord, I give you this mouth. Oh, this mouth. And I offer it to you, Lord, just a living sacrifice. Now, God, I know I've got plans for today. 
I've got a to-do list, but I also know that before the foundation of the world, you already had a schedule. So God, I submit to you today. And Lord, would you give me an awareness of your presence today? And Lord, if you're moving in an unusual way, I don't want to miss it. I mean, if he's going to make the natural, supernatural, don't you want to be aware of it too? I do. If he's going to be speaking, I don't want to miss a word that he has to say. And you will be amazed if you pray that way at the beginning of the day, how much natural stuff you will see with your spiritual eyes are really supernatural. You know what grace and compassion is for people who are acting like lunatics? Not that any of you have driven on Van Dyke today. You start to see them as God's creation. And it's wild what happens. You know, at a certain point, it was the sweetest gift that I feel like the Lord gave me as a pastor is that as soon as the worship service starts, I start, I kind of let go of who I'm looking at. Like I'm not looking at you and your story. It's just in that moment, it's just child of God. Just child of God. I just see you as a child of God when I'm prayed up, when I'm in his word. And when I'm not, it's why didn't she respond to my email yet? You know, like it can just be so quickly to be taken out of it. And then when that person that you deal with it frustrates you, when you finally manage to go to the grocery store for crying out loud, and you finally manage to find all of the things, and then you get in line, and then that lady runs into you with her cart, and then you do the gracious, it's okay. But then what if she actually spilled something on you? And then that coffee gets spilled on you, and it burns, and you know it's not a big deal, but in your head, now you're thinking about how your day just got impacted. Well, if you started that day with give me eyes to see, and if there's anything unusual that you might be up to today, I want to see it, then the Lord will start to show you His activity and everything, and it occurs to you that you might be the only Bible that they get to read that day. If I could just give you something, if I could download it into you and just hand it to you, it would be relationships that you couldn't shake. You couldn't shake it because he's so built into your rhythm that you knowing God is a part of you that surpasses all understanding because it's in every corner of who you are. Now, as a worship leader, I got asked this question by one, by one of our folks at our church, uh, I think about a year ago, and he said, Tom, you move around on stage more often than what I'm used to. And he was kind of telling me about like loud music and guitars and stuff like that and that had been tricky for him, but he was really loving, you know, worshiping now. Like he'd kind of gotten over it. And I was like, well, do you want to know why we move around on stage? So I'm going to give you a little inside baseball. I wear special headphones that have a metronome that's a inside my ear and it helps me stay on time. Now part of it is because it solves every argument I've ever had with the drummer when they're like, it's too fast, it's too slow. It's what the metronome clicky thing said we're doing. So that's what we're doing. It just makes my life a lot less stressful. But the reason that I move is something that I learned from a vocal teacher once. And she was trying to help, as my daughter Anna was doing a Zoom meeting, 
um, which we bought a Groupon for a free voice lesson. It was so cool. It was like, or it was really cheap to get it. And we were talking to a lady in Canada who was giving my daughter a voice lesson. And Anna was trying to sing along. And as she was trying to sing along, the voice teacher stopped her and she said, Anna, move your body like you're singing music. <laughs> I was like, I like this lady. She's a little bit snark in that. And Anna started to move. See, she got in the ways of the song. And then she naturally fell into rhythm. I sway so I don't have to think about the song, it's so I can think about you. I sway so I'm not lost in the music, but I can put my heart into worshiping Jesus with my church. We move not because we look cool. I can't help it if it happens occasionally. <laughs> but we move because when our bodies are in the activity of what the song is trying to do, we're in the music. We're in the vibe. We're in what the songwriter made the song to do. So we get in his ways. We get in his movement. We use a little structure. Thank you for this day. You are great and holy. I got some stuff I would really love you to see too. I don't know why you haven't done it yet. Maybe you won't. But I trust you enough not to just answer me, but I trust you enough to obey your word. So I'm going to pester you because you sent Jesus to tell me to do it. So healing. Take the cancer away. Healing. Bring my kid back to you. Healing. Solve my mental illness. Healing. Help this sin that keeps creeping up in my life. I need your help and deliverance from it. Help it go away. Healing. Loneliness trust. Take it all to him. But don't make it all just communication because you'll miss out on what I believe is the best part of following him, the joy that I have in Jesus to know that he loves talking about Super Mario with me and all of my fears and all of my hurts and all of my hang-ups. And then he invites me into his life. Wow. What a good God. Pray to him. Pester him. Trust him. So here's your takeaway. Before I get out of bed, I'll give him my day. And look with new eyes what your day was really meant for. God, I love you so much. I just ask you, God, that for any person who is struggling with their faith today, in you, that you would help them with their unbelief. I ask you, God, that you would give them some healing today. You give direction. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you to own us because we love you and we trust you, our good and just Father. Amen.